Hello and welcome. This is Friend Request. I'm your host, Justin Lamb, and this is episode 66 with Steve and Catherine. You guys, did you hear that? Two names. I'm doubling up. This is actually a crossover episode. Steve and Catherine host a podcast called Kites and Strings about creativity, and I could not be happier to have them on. They are both licensed clinical professional uh, counselors as well as art therapists and I really kind of drill into them on, on their past, their history. Steve uh, got into that business back when, you know, Tim Allen was doing stand-up routines about it, uh, you know, in the late 80s. And so it's really great to get some perspective and, and learn what drives you into that profession and how it's evolved and how they're, both their creativity has gotten intertwined into the business that they do as counselors. It's really remarkable. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And when this episode's over, head over to Kites and Strings on that same podcast app you're using right now and give them a, a follow and a, and a listen and check out some of their episodes, including an upcoming episode with yours truly. No, not my friend truly, me. I'm talking about me. I was on the show. Uh, <laughs> go over there, check it out. But first, listen to this because it is a great, great listen and great interview. Thank you to Steve and Catherine. But without further ado, I'm going to give you guys this interview because I love it. Here's Steve and Catherine. First and foremost, um, I love everything that you're doing in your professional world as well as on the podcast. Um, professional world, the fact that you guys are licensed clinical professional counselors and art therapists, like you're you're hitting a bunch of <laughs> a bunch of <laughs> checks for me, and I'm going into that field myself. So uh, it's it's a wonderful privilege for me to have you guys on here where I can kind of drill you with questions. Um, <laughs> well, Catherine's actually double licensed. Oh, I'm licensed in New York and in Illinois. So you I'm know? a licensed clinical professional counselor and a licensed mental health counselor. Yeah, I but, but saw. I, which, which, um, which little certificate is more aesthetically pleasing? Oh, New York's is bigger. Oh, I mean, but obviously, right? <laughs> no. I've spent the last, uh, God, I don't know how many years, how old am I? Um, not really knowing what I want to do uh, as far as like mm. college school, um, professionally. Mm -hmm. And so I have three associate's degrees from a community college. And, you know, once I get that master's, I'm just going to put them all next to each other on my yes. wall. <laughs> Yes. I'll dedicate a whole wall to it, like Excellent. many other things. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to start out, though, uh, before I kind of dive into some of your guys' individual backgrounds with the podcast, Kites and Strings. And yeah, I would love to know, you know, you, you and I apologize. I know you go over this with almost every guest I, I've listened to. But can you <laughs> can you explain the metaphor uh, Kites and Strings to to the listeners? I'm going to let Steve explain it okay. because he he is the metaphor mastermind of life. Oh, that's, that's a nice title. <laughs> wow. Excellent. You know, it's funny because I, I think the kites and strings metaphor, I mean, it came up initially first in talking about couples, right? And people. And I always Ooh, thought of, of the, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, um, the kite being the, the frilly dancing, colorful flitting around in the sky, right? Yeah. And and kind of liking that that freedom up in the sky, and the string being that that grounding, tethering force in in that equation, and how there's a tension felt between the two. Yeah, right. There's almost this uh, obligatory, this this necessary tension between these two entities and if that tension wasn't there neither one of those items would be living up to their potential they yeah. wouldn't be doing what they they do best so like i said when when i thought about it in couples my first thought was this this is there's usually a, a kite in a relationship and there's I, oftentimes yeah. a string. I am obsessed with this idea of that for couples because immediately I'm like, okay, so I'm the I'm the kite, my wife is the string. <laughs> right, right. Um, yes. And sometimes as, as the a, tension as, is codependence. So okay, right. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> so that's that's where it was born out of, and I think in in later years it kind of came to bore sort of this arts kind of 
as an individual, and I think as Catherine and I kind of got to talking about the the um, this podcast and coming up with names for it, and I don't even remember some of the other names now that I think about it. Did we talk about this? Because I was like, my memory is you called me up and you were like, hey, Catherine, want to do a podcast? And I was like, sure. What do I have to do? Can I just talk to you? And he's like, yes, it's called Kites and Strings. No, <laughs> I have to look for notes. We had some discussions about whether it would be something else. And and I remember thinking, well, kitesandstrings.com was available. So I thought that's kind of that, cool. That is a selling point right there. Right. So, um. And then we got to talking more about that. And, and I think Catherine is the one she's fleshed it out quite a bit in the world of, of art. And I think she's, you know, we, we had early conversations about, you know, where you can fly, fly a flight or fly a kite and, and all these different places that, that this metaphor seemed to work. It doesn't initially hit people like they don't quite get it always yeah but i think after afterwards they're like yeah it works on several levels so i like it on that in that way yeah Catherine, what would you how would you flesh that out uh, flesh what out i think what else what else can i add to that steve my my, my shtick my shtick that was unbeknownst to me at the, the early stages of our podcast was like i could really like feel what kind of kite someone was or if they skewed heavier kite or heavier string but now mm. that we're doing it i'm really like seeing how both shows up in most people mm -hmm. um or you you hire you hire a string <laughs> right. And definitely the people that we've interviewed who are, are folks that are finding success in the arts and yeah. and they found a way to kind of make it work for them. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and I think that's that. They, and I think one of the brilliant things Catherine brought initially was that idea of people that do it well are the ones that there's you use the, the handstand person. Right? Oh, yeah. The, Right. The, the person that that is there's still these tensions, there's still this balance point that's happening. Yeah. And because they do it so quickly, it looks like they're on top of their game. But there's, there's still all those all adjustments. That yeah. 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 Micro I, I like movements. Yeah. I, I, Micro yeah. movements. I like that analogy. Um, right. So you guys have a unique history and Steve, even so a little more than Catherine. No, I'm curious in your, in your professional careers and, and especially Steve going through doing this in the, like in the nineties originally. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is, I mean, in the, I, you know what, going back, it's late eighties. Hey, I didn't want to age you, but if you want to, that's your prerogative. Um, okay. No, I, I'm just thinking, you know, you think of the 90s and therapy. I mean, I'm a child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was four. Like, I am no stranger to therapy in the 90s mm -hmm. um, and the 80s. How old am I? Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's it's Tim Allen comedy bits. It's uh, it's 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 a mm -hmm. there's a lot of stereotypes and it's it's just this background thing. There's the the, the shrink, you know, term got thrown around a lot and. And what it's evolved into the last, even five years, I mean, 10 maybe, but definitely the mm -hmm. last five years. And especially I know like being a little too loud on social media has brought a lot of mental health issues to, to light. Um, what has that evolution been like being inside that bubble the whole time? As You mean as, as a counselor yeah. in that world? You know, it's been so, I, I think that I've had a weird upbringing, if you would, maybe not a weird upbringing. And I don't want to, I'm trying to, I don't want to get on a soapbox, but you know, one of the things that is true about this industry is in general, the most broken people get the least trained clinicians, right? So you come out of school and what I did, and now granted in the late eighties, I was out of, with my bachelor's and I was a therapeutic rec specialist on my way to becoming a art therapist. So as a therapeutic rec specialist, I got my master's, I got into the, the field, and I started practicing as an unlicensed clinician in a large agency, predominantly child welfare. Yeah. Um, again, some of the most broken individuals in our, in our society. And as I stayed in that industry, now this might be a uh, the, my upbringing. You know, I had my, my dad worked for like JCPenney for 30-something years. Yeah. You know, and he was part of that that 
generation that you got a job with a company and they took care of you and <laughs> you stay took there care forever. of them. Yeah. You stayed there forever. Yeah. I mean, I think in, in that those 30 something years, three sick days. Wow. Right. Oh. So that meant that yeah. meant for the entire like Bush Reagan era, he knew it was sick. <laughs> right. Um, while most of us so that, were sick that entire time. Uh, exactly. Okay. <laughs> right. So that was that mentality back then. So I stayed with these companies. I mean, I moved around within child welfare, which was a little different, but I stayed yeah. in child welfare and it gave me the sense of just really this, it gave me a good insight as to how broken the system was. Right. And, and as I became licensed and I had been in the, in the field for the while and I saw how quickly people came in and out of it, because they'd get their credentials and then they'd leave. They'd go to greener pastures, yeah. right? And then come a new group of young graduates that are ill-prepared and not ill-prepared, but just not, they didn't have the lived experience. Um, and then they you'd sit a 22-year-old, you know, white new graduate across from a 50-year-old African-American foster parent who's done launched, you know, and I was sitting there too. And they're that 22-year-old is telling them how to raise a kid. Yeah. It's like, yeah, right. You know, so it, it, it really did teach me a lot in that world. So as far as getting out and being in private practice, that wasn't until maybe the late nineties that I started doing them. I can't even remember. Yeah. And, and that, I, I remember that being so different. Oh, I bet. Yeah. And, and that's, that's like I said, uh, and kind of tipped on earlier, that's prime for stereotypes and everything like just that mm -hmm. idea. And I mean, that's not even going into the like over medication that was happening in the nineties and right. into the, into the early two thousands. And, um, so yeah, that I've just imagined being in that field, from then on it's got to feel good to be where it is now <laughs> it feels like it's it in is. a pretty good place right now <laughs> it's moving better yeah. it's moving it's moving in, even in those big agencies yeah. um and I, you know i certainly want Catherine's take on this because she's she's experienced it too but like now i work as a trainer a consultant and we're training some of those same clinicians I'm in the position where I'm training a lot of those same people coming into the field. Yeah. And like, for example, one thing that Medicaid in Illinois has done is you do not have to diagnose a child in order to provide them services. Yeah. Shut up. That actually happened. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, and, and you do not, right. And you do not have to have the child in front of you in order to bill. You can be, talking with their foster parent or their teacher, as long as it's a direct benefit to the kid. So Catherine's <laughs> having an aneurysm right now. <laughs> I am. Oh my God. So there's Aren't you licensed are... there? What's happening here? <laughs> well, not, she's not working with that population. But that's, that's one of the <laughs> nice developments to see happen. But let's face it, it's taken freaking 30 years. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, so for at least, and, and even longer than that, because it predates me. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And Catherine, you have some, I mean, you started out in a lot of child centered fields when you were first starting, right? Like as far Steve as hired me, oh, well, Steve, <laughs> Steve hired me straight out of go. grad school. He was, he was a guest lecturer when I was in grad school. We both graduated oh God, from the was, same program. <laughs> yep. And then, uh, the realizations he... you guys are bouncing <laughs> off of each other are <laughs> priceless. <laughs> yep. Steve, Steve lectured on working with teenage sex offenders. And one of my classmates was his intern and so I was looking for a job after graduation and Kim, um, was like, Oh, where I did my internship, Steve is hiring. And I was like, okay. Um, so I was that 22 year old white girl um, <laughs> from Ray's. I, I didn't even know what a group home was until I interviewed at one um, because there was no internet to Google, like, what the fuck is a group home? Yeah. I was like, oh, I guess I'll just find that out. Um, and I was absolutely terrified to. I remember the first time I met a client's grandma who was his caregiver. And like, um, I was like, oh, Oh, white girl privilege. You, your picture of what a grandma is just got blown out of the water. Yeah. Grandma had a gold tooth, a wrist tattoo. Grandma was probably like 45. Um, I did not tell grandma how to parent that kid at all. I was right. like, you teach me, grandma. Yeah. Um, 
But, I, you know, one of the things I want to, like, Steve, I think you did a great job of really talking about, like, sy systemic difference. And what I've really noticed is some clinical difference. And that, so Steve and I are kind of like the redheaded stepchildren of the therapy world as, as art therapists, as expressive mm -hmm. therapists. And I remember, I remember interviewing for, against, so Steve kind of like ushered me through my career, um, <laughs> interviewing for a job at another place with, with Steve and this other guy. And he was like, I don't know, you guys are art therapists and like Steve vouches for you. So that's cool with me. But a lot of those art therapists are really woo woo. <laughs> um, and so we've always been kind of like on the, the fringe, I think, of, yeah. of the counseling profession. And what I've noticed over the last 20 years is that it's gone from this cold, stale, like lay on the couch and be a blank slate and come over to where we've been for 20 years. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. let's just be together and be in the moment and like find other ways of shopping at whole foods let's yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 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 um so that that's been a big shift that i've seen that's um awesome. in the therapy world we're less stuffy <laughs> yeah yeah. I, and yeah it seems a lot more open-minded too which i mean with the amount of um i mean the, with the different individual issues that, that you deal with on a daily basis i think open-mindedness should be at the top of the list for for people that, in your field so that's that's yeah nice yeah to hear. well in a and, and I'm going to add, and this is one of the things to shout out to Catherine in that I was working in this, I had done a lot of work with juvenile sex offenders at that point. I, I had some work, which was a lot more than a lot of people did. Yeah. And I was part of this group home and hiring. And I don't know if we had been investigated or were being investigated yeah. when I hired you right as you walked in. Yes. Oh, I had been in this position <laughs> for two months and something had happened with some sexuality on a camp. And, and as soon as that, and it was, I was still on, I was working there, but I was brand new and this thing happened. Then all of a sudden the state's investigating us. <laughs> During your interview, Catherine, he's like, okay, oh, if the cops ask the you, job, here's what you tell them. <laughs> totally. I'm on the job like two weeks and they're like, here, go meet with the office of the inspector general. I'm like, okay. Like, Right. I don't know. I just started here was really all right. I could say. Okay. So, I mean, to, to be honest, at that point, I mean, she got thrown in the deep end, for yeah. one, with a very difficult population in a very difficult situation. Luckily for this agency, who I'm going to let be nameless at the moment, yeah, they had a, they had us as a team in place, and we were changing some things. So it kind of saved us. And I think because we are art therapists, because I think we had a more – personable human touch yeah. helped considerably. Um, and I think one of the things, again, speaking to Catherine, she had a, she, she looked at this population and a lot of people like, Oh my God, I couldn't work with juvenile sex offenders. Right. Because of a lot of things. Yeah. Catherine was, was quick to say, you know what, these are just dumb teenage boys. <laughs> Well, right. yeah. And she she could laugh at, at what was going on. Well, I think that, that phrasing saying. alone, juvenile sex offenders, is not a phrase that people are Right. Oh, let me line up to work there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'll tell you one of the funniest thing I – and I knew that I hired the right person. <laughs> I'm in, now, this is an apartment building, and our, the, the, the therapy offices in the center, the administrative section, was down in one section. And I was in what would have been the master bedroom or whatever. Okay, That's yeah. where my office was. And Catherine was in the other office. And I'm hearing from across the hall. <laughs> I'm hearing this giggling. <laughs> Probably and this. And it sounds just like that. And I, I peek in and she goes, <laughs> he peed in their Tupperware in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> I got to respect a kid that's going to pee in the Tupperware. Come on. If, that, if that's your survival you know, strategy, buddy, yeah. like creativity points sometimes and you got to teach yep. mom a lesson oh my right so i thought i got the right person <laughs> i love it amazing amazing um so you guys are art therapists which yes is, and the funny thing to me steve that you, you mentioned that you that was a field you wanted to go to in the 80s uh and this so I, my my history I, of knowledge with art therapy was you know body keeps the score talks about it and and yeah some like really amazing things where I'm like, are you sure you aren't just using some sort of psychic power? <laughs> like, oh, they're constantly, you know, drawing a nine on a clock and it turns out they were nine when they got molested. And you're like, wait, what? Um, <laughs> and then 
Oddly enough, I've interviewed another art therapist that just uh -huh. uh, graduated and, and started art therapy uh, during the pandemic. So <laughs> keep your <laughs> keep your hands together for her because who knows yeah. what oh, else yeah. that's going to look like. And uh, I always assumed that it was a kind of a newer practice. And so to hear that it's been around for decades and decades, I'm wondering like how you guys found out about it and what made you pick that and kind of i'm going to segue that into like your own background and creativity and your kind of preferred <laughs> <laughs> weapon of choice be it pencil or instrument or <laughs> i was an idiot oh okay good <laughs> all right podcast over guys we're good <laughs> well i just want to say i was an overachiever <laughs> oh okay carry on yeah no see i was an idiot i you know first off i'm I'm first generation college, so I had no sense of where I was going to go or yeah. what I wanted to do. I just kind of had the sense that Doesn't I was going to Doesn't that take the pressure off, though? Because you're like, ha-ha, you guys can't be like, I did it, you have to do it, because I did right. more well, than a you. Little bit, a little bit, because there wasn't a whole lot of like, oh, my God, he's going to college. That's yeah. great, right? There was yeah. no, what are you going into? And I, you know, I also grew up very practical. I mean, I had a lot of blue collar, a lot of, so I, I was, well, I want to go into art. I was good at art. But I didn't want to, I, I, the idea of sacrificing to be an artist. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to draw really well and have to eat ketchup soup. Yeah. Because that's, that's what I could afford. And then I, a, a professor at one of my schools said, yeah, he worked somewhere and he worked with an art therapist and he was kind of doing art therapy. And I'm like, art therapy? Huh. That sounds cool. And I really thought, well, artist, that's a neat thing. I like that. I'm already connected. Therapists, they make bank. So I thought, yeah, I'm going to go into art therapy. I'm going to be in some high rise with a marble desk and a little craft table yeah. over there or something. Well, in your defense, and, uh, I, was, I think in the, in the eighties and the nineties, therapists were like looked at as what PhDs for the most part. <laughs> like, right, yeah, right. And they were, so that was, Right. So that was my thinking. So I went into it and I mean, I went art education was my bachelor's because I thought, well, at the end of my bachelor's, I want to at least have a degree that could be marketable. <laughs> and I, I, you know, I didn't follow that pursuit necessarily yeah. for a number of reasons, but that's why I went into it is I thought it was somehow this, you know, rich art job. <laughs> okay. <laughs> How about you, Catherine? <laughs> um, so I went to a really, really fantastic high school. Um, my high school art department was mind blowing. We had jewelry classes. We had photography classes. I learned how to raccoon fire in, in high school. Um, and so I was in an advanced placement art class my senior year. And after we finished our portfolios, um, our art teacher had an art therapist come in and talk to us. And so we did some like, you know, draw three wishes. I don't know. We probably did some other stuff. She probably talked about some other stuff too, but I was like, whoa, wait a minute. Like, this is pretty cool. Like I, the other option for me was be an art teacher, which seemed totally impractical. Yeah. Like I didn't want to teach anything other than art. And I certainly didn't want to teach people how to draw realistically because I can't draw realistically. <laughs> um, so when I heard about this, I was like, okay, wait a minute. I like totally dig psychology and sociology. And you're telling me like, I can just hang out with people and talk to them about like their shit and we can draw pictures all day. Like sign me up. Huh. Um, so I, I went to community college for a couple of years and I found a undergrad school that offered art therapy, some classes. So I took some art therapy classes undergrad and then from there went straight and got my master's degree. Was it hard to find a school at that time that had that as an option? Um, I think there were, if I remember right, I found a handful. Um, there's three, one, three there's four one in Illinois. Yeah. There, and I didn't want to stay in Illinois. I was like, yeah. uh, no, I gotta go. Um, so I found a school in New Jersey. Um, and it, they just offered a couple of electives. And you picked New Jersey? No, I'm just kidding. I was born in New Jersey. <laughs> I live in New York now. I've, I, like, I have on. no real opinions on that. <laughs> New, Jersey. New Jersey is the Garden State. It has a whole like array of scenery from like Newark to like you know, Cape May. There's this um, one dude that has a garden. 
And that's um, Zach Braff Summer Home. Um, yeah. There you go. So yeah, I went to the library and I pulled out the massive book of colleges because that's what my friend showed me how to do. And I found art therapy and the list of schools and like that that's where I went from there. Um and, and same thing with grad school. Like it was do I want to stay on the East Coast or go back to Illinois? Um and I I it ended up that I only applied to the school in Illinois. One of the schools on the East coast, you had to apply like a year in advance. The other one I was interested in, but I got lost on my way to the informational interview. So I was like, I guess I'm not going to apply there. And so it was <laughs> University of Illinois, Chicago, because the other two in Chicago were too expensive. That's funny. Well, uh, so- yeah, at that time, one of the founders was, was running that program. The, one of the founders of our therapy. Oh, nice. Um, so that's, yeah, that that's was, a good that school kind of, to go to. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that, again, speaking to my lack of knowledge about school, um, I went to community college, which meant, uh, like you I said, the, three degrees. <laughs> yeah. So, which meant, you know, when I applied to a community college, you get a letter and it says, Congratulations, you've been accepted. Yeah. Which to me thought, Oh, my check cleared. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I went to another, an undergrad for, 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 um, you know, my bachelor's, not very difficult to get into. Yeah. And I got the letter that said, Congratulations, you've been accepted. And oh, my check cleared. And then, <laughs> and then I went to the UIC program for art therapy. And there was like an interview process and there were like 50 people there and we were meeting the, the director and professors and other students and we were talking to people. And I remember giving somebody a ride home or a ride to the train station who was going down to New Orleans. And I thought, oh, that's pretty cool. Somebody's coming up from all the way from New Orleans to go to school here. And she goes, that was a pretty difficult like application, like interview process. <laughs> and I'm like, what, what do you mean, interview? I had okay. no idea. Okay, Steve. Oh, my God. We're having another mind-blowing moment, Justin. Because I also, for, for different reasons, I don't even know what my reasons were. I had no idea that that was a group interview until I became an office assistant and then was part of the back end of that where we evaluated everybody. I was like, oh, my God. I had no idea. I was just there having fun. Oh, that's, that's what so I was funny. doing. I had no idea. And she says, yeah, there's like 75 people that apply for this and they're accepting 15. I'm like, what? <laughs> I had no, but it probably, maybe for you too, it lights yeah, me up. I was going like, to say, I'm it probably there, works for your and... favor that you yeah. didn't know. Because that got to take all the pressure off if you don't know the thing actually exists. Right? <laughs> right. Oh, for sure. For sure. <laughs> right. That's so. funny. This week's episode is brought to you by Bravis Brewing. Bravis Brewing exclusively makes non-alcoholic craft beer, and breweries like theirs have been pivotal in my sobriety. No longer does the sacrifice of alcohol come with the sacrifice of taste and flavor. Whether it's a hoppy IPA, a tart raspberry gosa, I believe I'm saying that right, a malty amber ale, or uh, any number of their special uh, brews available throughout the year. You know, I usually keep my fridge stocked with their peanut butter stout. That's right, non-alcoholic peanut butter stout, you guys. And currently have their their crisp blonde, and they have a limited edition orange cream ale that are also just uh, taking up real estate in my fridge, but not for long, because I'm going to drink them. Uh, when you order a 12-pack or more, they ship for free, and now when you use code FRIENDREQUEST, one word, FRIENDREQUEST, you can also have an additional 10% off. What? I read that right. 10% off. Whether you're sober, sober curious, or just looking for a delicious evening without the hangover the next morning, any beer lover has to try Bravus Brewing. So head over to bravus.com, that's B-R-A-V-U-S.com, and use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout to save 10% and get free shipping on orders of 12 packs or larger. That's bravus.com, B-R-A-V-U-S, and use code FRIENDREQUEST at checkout to save 10% and free shipping on orders of 12 packs or larger. All right, back to the show, guys. Uh, well, so I, I, what I can gather from listening and, and uh, from the interwebs, I would say, uh, Steve, you, you play music, correct? I do. <laughs> and then, Catherine, you paint and draw and all sorts of different mediums? I, I do everything. Okay. Like, if Daniel. there is an art material that I have not used, I will go out and buy it and use it. Um, 
And then in like the last 10 years, I've gotten more into movement. Um, Specifically, I started doing flying trapeze, which was my gateway drug into the entire like aerial community. So now it's like, if it's a thing that hangs from the ceiling and ideally spins, I would like to climb on it, play on it, turn upside down on it. Um, I started doing pole dancing. Um, So yeah, like anything where it's like dancing, and fitness merged together, and there's some kind of apparatus involved. I'm in. So any way you can express yourself through any medium possible. <laughs> <laughs> Except music. I'm really, I'm really, really bad at, um, like, playing music. I don't have the discipline to try and learn an instrument. I mean, I took mandatory piano in, like, eighth grade, and that well, was a disaster. You, you touched on kind of the key word I was, I was thinking about is discipline. And, like, yeah. how did both of you at 18 have the foresight to be like no i'm gonna keep doing my creative stuff but i'm gonna actually like get a job or or not get a job necessarily but go to school for something that can get me a job i mean i'm yeah, this is coming from someone's like no i'll be a rock star and i'll be in la <laughs> when i'm 21 and i'll be high as a kite and it won't <laughs> like, yeah so where where does that come from where you are is it is it a level of doubt or is it a level of realism like what where are you at on that spectrum when you're choosing that path (laughs) um for me it was neither doubt nor real realism i think it was divine intervention (laughs) um like for real um i wasn't i i knew i wasn't or i i didn't think i was talented enough to make a career as an artist so that was never an option for me okay um and so when that art therapist came in and was like and here is your career. I was yeah. like, of course, duh, absolutely. It, it just, it all clicked and made such perfect sense. And when I hear people's stories now, the only way I can organize my story is like, there was divine intervention that was like, just like giving me breadcrumbs along the way to like, get me like like the fucking uh, BF Skinner pigeon operant conditioning <laughs> me to walk in a circle. And it's yeah. like, yes, you will walk in this circle to be an art therapist. Well, there you there go. There you go. <laughs> Interesting. You know, for me though, it was I knew I could draw I, I knew I had that that ability but there was never the sense that I I mean I just didn't view it as a career choice yeah right until this idea of art therapy came along I mean I, I knew I was going to go into art but I was but I was waiting to see what that turned into and then art therapy presented itself and that became sort of the beeline and I did art and I did and I've done that for a long time in fact for I don't know how long ago it was. I used to do a lot of clay and ceramic and I can mm-hmm. draw pretty well. And I used to have stuff exhibited and stuff like that, but it just didn't meet my social need. Okay. Me playing with dirt in my basement <laughs> <laughs> didn't, didn't match my personality. Ah. Right. So then, and I also, my idea of playing music and actually, and I'm, I'm an okay guitarist and it's probably because I just, I got a late start in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. I played early on, I grew up in Rockford, Illinois, right when Cheap Trick was hitting. I mean, Cheap Trick, like, played my middle school. I went to school wow. with Robin Zander's sister. I, you know, I've, and in Rockford, they were, you know, they were the, they were the shit. So that was such, that was the thing. So it's like, oh, I wasn't going to be the shredder. That was not the guy yeah. I was going to be. And I was like this little twerpy guy who my, my spandex pants would hang off me. So I couldn't pull that off. <laughs> You know? No, David Lee Roth. Yeah, well, that wasn't going to happen. So music wasn't going to. And also, when I play guitar, my 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 dad and bless his heart, I think they were supportive as they could be. But they'd they'd be playing, and they he would listen to Frank Sinatra and stuff. And oh, the yeah. guitar playing's nice, but the singing's not there. Yeah. Well, no, not if you're going to compare me to Frank Sinatra. <laughs> so then I kind of thought, well, I can't sing. I don't do that. So it never really became a thing yeah. until much later. Um, and then I thought, I've always wanted to play guitar. I got with a couple people and it was probably 20 years ago. I started a dad rock band and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, um, and I started writing music. I like writing lyrics and, and that was fun. And then that just offshoot into a number of different things where now I run festivals and I, I put on concerts and I book things and that all feels, I learned in that process that this is as much a creative process as any of that other stuff I do oh, yeah. too, because I'm tapping into that creative part of my brain. And, and probably in that process is when I started thinking, you know, there's something interesting here. Yeah. And 
long be not long before, but before the podcast ever took off, I kind of thought this would be something fun to talk about. It's I funny. just never did it. It's funny the way you describe it. It sounds almost like you didn't really find that passion or accept that passion in yourself for that creativity until like years into your career. <laughs> it was always part of my life. Yeah. I always knew it was part of my life. I always knew I had to be making or creating or doing something. Yeah. But I never really named it. Interesting. I mean, I just, I just always knew it was this thing. I mean, when I was doing art as an art therapist, I knew that it was, in, it was cool there. And I used it as this, I was using it as this tool to help people process and, and, and talk through and, and sort of understand themselves. Yeah. But, but, and I, you know, I did art just because I did it, but as far as really recognizing it as a force, you know, that I needed to reckon with. And then when I reckon with it, it's like, this is a pretty cool force to have on your side. Yeah. I mean, that really didn't come till later. Huh. So. Well, I'm glad you found it. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> so you guys kind of touched on this already, uh, as far as kind of how you two met, but what, what drove you together as kind of a. Uh, partnership and, and not only like work, but now in this podcast and how you decided to do something like what you're doing with kites and strings. It's this, it's the narrative has not changed at all. It's Steve saying, Hey, Catherine, want to do this thing? Like, so he hires me out of Catherine's grad up for anything guys. Right, right. He hires me out of grad school and then he leaves. I'm still working there. I, he left after I've been there three years, five years I'm there. And he's like, Hey, Catherine, come come work for me over here. It's better. And I'm like, eh, okay. So I go work for him over there. It was better. <laughs> Fair enough. Fast forward like 15 years. Hey, Catherine, want to do a podcast? Eh, okay. <laughs> well, that's because, like I said, I had thought of this idea of doing this. And I thought, well, who else do I know that seems to just really fly their creative kite? Yeah. Right? And this is, yeah. again, although Catherine disagrees with me, it hadn't it hadn't been established <laughs> that the kite and string would be the name of the podcast at that point. And, and you know, through Facebook and and seeing Catherine and seeing what she's doing, seeing that she's doing this, the, the, the trapeze stuff and the pole dancing yeah. and that she's always seems to have something going in the world of, of just being creative and, and trying new things. I also, and I referenced this early on in our, in our, one of our shows, Catherine has been somebody that, you know, she came up her and her partner at the time came up with pride water. Right. <laughs> yeah. Which I was, heard that episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just this idea, the shower thought that she kind of, they followed. Yeah. And I thought that's pretty cool. And I had always, and part of my starting this podcast was like, well, what the fuck can go wrong with it? Let's give it a shot. Yeah. And it was the same spirit that Catherine brought to the water. Yeah. And then knowing that she was doing the stuff with the creativity on, and that's, she was the first person I called and she's like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Perfect. It's a pandemic. What yeah. else do I have to do? Yeah, that's a, that's a public service announcement too to anybody thinking about making a podcast. I mean, I've been doing this shit for five years, and it's like, no, nothing can go wrong. Just make it. Like, yeah, exactly. Wor worst case scenario, it sits there, and no one ever listens to it, so it's not right, it's right. not really a loss. Yeah. <laughs> um, I lost my train of thought. Uh, so I'm curious, Catherine. You you talked about about this a little bit. Um. But you do a lot of, as you described it, and a, and a lot of people that I talk to describe it as uh, kind of woo-woo stuff, right? Uh-huh. Um, so what I'm curious about and what I constantly, I interview a lot of people that address it that way, right? Like if they're talking about spirituality, um, like outside of your normal religious crap, um, and yoga, and, and anything where you're, uh, for lack of a better term, doing woo-woo stuff. Uh, yeah. They call it that, and then a lot of people immediately, and I'm wondering if you see this, are very dismissive of themselves, like, being into it at all. You know, they'd be like, oh, I just got into this. Oh, you know, it's that stupid stuff. But they, they immediately are dismissive of it, um, maybe because of the public image or what they think someone's going to think if they're like, yeah, and, you know, I was really in touch with my body and mind or whatever that looks like. Do you see that when you're kind of introducing those things to clients? <laughs> oh, for sure. Um, so, Justin, you have just like hit on <laughs> what has been my struggle for like the past five years when I, I've started to like sink into things a little bit more in terms of like energy work. And then yeah. so I got Reiki attuned and then I was like, 
how, how do I do this with therapy? And it, that went on a shelf. And then I learned this other holographic memory resolution, which is basically like an energy work framework for body-centered psychotherapy. But I, I didn't know that. So I like tried it a little bit, but I was like, ah, that went on the shelf. And I found uh, sensory motor psychotherapy and I was like, okay, that makes sense. But like what I'm doing now is really like, Again, the divine intervention has gifted me with so many things. I landed, I wanted to go to Peru. So I randomly like Googled some other thing and I saw this lady was taking people to Peru. So I go to Peru with people I've never met, end up on a retreat learning like shamanic practices, shamanic healing practices. I was like, I just wanted to go to Machu Picchu. I woke up, the lady's like, did you have, do you have a rattle? I'm like, no. She's like, here's a rattle, shake it. I was like, okay. Um <laughs> And so where I'm at now is like really working to try and quiet that that voice of like, you, well, where's where's the evidence for this? How do you know? Like quiet the science voice yeah. and trust trust the 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 spirituality of it and trust that everyone has things that we know and that we feel and that we sense to be true, but we don't have the right language for it. And so I think what without having the right language for it, what we tend to do is dismiss it and ignore it. Um, and if if I can help people learn how to be open to trusting their gut and like to to know that sometimes things won't make sense but if you can let go of our western mind that tells us we have to think it through we have to do the right thing bigger better faster more yeah. um the more we can break through that the more we can can get to healing places that that wouldn't we wouldn't normally access um but it's hard it's hard to get so on the most simple level not even going into like spiritual work or energy work getting someone to step out of their head and just be in their body and pay attention to where they're holding tension or where they're breathing yeah. i mean that's that's a win if i can get someone to do that for a couple minutes yeah there's there seems to be just like a natural response to almost sec yeah second guess yourself kind of put put yourself down and overthink things like that um and i, I see it in myself and i see it in, in the people that i talk to and i, I even had a, a yoga instructor who's also now a death doula um and, mm -hmm. and she and she learned reiki and she came over and she's mm -hmm. like do you want me to do reiki like i can't no it's you probably don't let's let's woo i was like and it's like stop just stop doing that and i but i see that in in so many things and i see it in myself and anything anytime you're approaching something where you're unsure how the other party feels about it or it's still kind of new to you and you don't feel like you have the ability to speak with confidence about that yeah um yeah that that voice is so loud and so, yeah, that, I think you gave some good advice there. And that's kind of what I was looking for, because I that's a running theme, whether it is that stuff or, uh, you know, starting a new business or like going into a new relationship. There's just that voice that kind of lives in that same spot in your brain and, and how to silence that a little bit. But I mm -hmm. I hear it a lot when it comes to the. Uh, the spirit I, like i said i was about to say like the woo woo stuff but <laughs> yeah well and i use i use the term woo woo because like that's the one that people are familiar with because i can say that and it automatically dumps in astrology and crystals yeah. and energy work <laughs> yeah. and probably throw art therapy in there and body therapy like it it's this thing word we use to describe things that we don't know how to explain and that's why i love that it's what is that onomatopoeia uh, or what it's the word that doesn't have a meaning it's just a sound yeah. um right, right. which is the actually the perfect way to describe it because woo woo is we all know what it means but it's not a thing i have no idea what it would say in the dictionary but it and we sense it more than we like logically get it yeah awesome I wanted to ask you guys kind of one more thing um, and feel like reveal or don't reveal as much as you want. Uh, <laughs> this, yes, this is where it gets crazy. Let me take my cardigan off. Um, oh, oh. <laughs> no, I just, I know from personal experience, um, I mean, you can sit in a psych class in any college and a lot of people are there because of something that's happened with them personally in their background or something like that. Were you guys driven to that aspect of the field at all by any of your own trauma or was it just something you were interested in? 
I, I, I no, and not from. I mean, not for me. Again, it was. I was an idiot. I thought it would be a place that I could go <laughs> make money. Yeah. Right. I was this practically driven. Everybody. I mean, my family. My dad worked the maintenance and dock at J.C. Penney for thirty-five yeah, years. Yeah. My my mom's side was all concrete. You right. That's what they worked in. And and my grandparents. My grandfather worked in like warehousing and retailing groceries and stuff. So I was very practical. Um, as far as like it being, it, it helped me make sense of a lot of things. Yeah. And that's, that's it helped me also understand myself in, in the bigger world. And that was attractive to me. Right. I, I realized that, you know, I, I think about like, well, why did I get in this? I'm, I'm like one of those people that like to be near the fire, but not in it. Yeah. Right. I was, I was, it was, I wasn't Just, I'm getting the firefighters much. water, you know? It's, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So it's like yeah. this idea, like, I'm going to be near there. I'm going to be there. I, I was, you know, I hung out with these, the people I hung out with in, in the, this bar in Rockford, again, pretty conservative town, but I'm in the one bar where the punks and the, the weird people hung out. And that's where I was a bartender for a while. And that's where I liked hanging out. And, and I knew a lot of people that, that were certainly well into the, um, you wouldn't let them house sit for you, Forrest. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. I'm picking up what you're throwing down. I, mean, yeah. I used to drive one guy, you know, I, he called it Camp Sunshine. I was his commute because he was on work release from the prison, right? So these are the people I hung out with, but I wasn't quite in it, but I knew it well enough and it was fun. And, and so as I got to understand myself and understand sort of what this is all about, I kind of liked it it helped me put myself in the world so that was kind of what i drew from it and it helped me look at bigger pictures so that i imagine you were like a level of an observer at that point right i mean i i remember early on like right now i mean i am a a privileged white middle-aged dude right but i remember as a kid same z's uh yeah but i remember as a kid is really my my Grandfather and my dad always owned grocery stores in in on the Rockford's West Side, predominantly lower social economic status, pre- predominantly if not all African American, and that's where I hung out. Yeah, and I went to a school where there were three people of color. Yeah, also, same. and I was always <laughs> I was always making sort of this like try, I was observing this from sort of like let me try to understand these two worlds that seem very different on on a on a certain level and i was really kind of and that to me was very interesting to me like how how it was and and i remember even my my dad who was not the most polished in the way he looked at things you know he would be like um talking about the characteristics and 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 he was not he would never really horrible racial like slams or anything like that but he talked about that this population would do this and it was always from the basis of observation like the type of food and the type of this and i and i always got that he really respected where he the the neighborhoods that he's in yeah and and i really took that from him and i liked that even though i had to and i had to balance that with the shit that i was hearing from kids in my all white school yeah. that were predominantly blue class and or blue collar working class and nothing against them but they were not always the most sophisticated or the most sensitive yeah. and and i remember that just being a really interesting process for me and i liked that in this world as i started to work in it it helped me make sense of that stuff more awesome so but, yeah that's great yeah that's, i like that yeah, my, mine also, like, was not rooted in trauma. I always fit into the middle of the bell curve. Like, that was there, and I realized it was really, really hollow. Um, so, <laughs> Steve loves this. I was the um, artsy goth cheerleader my, like, junior, senior Hold year on. of high school. Hold on. <laughs> you just combined yeah. goth and cheerleader, so I need to pause uh-huh. you for a second. <laughs> Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I w- I, we had our little, like, red, black, and white uniforms, and I would wear black and white striped tights, like Beetlejuice tights, yeah. and uh, I had some purple streaks in my hair, and I, I, like, carved out this space for myself where I was really interested in, like... Um, people who were a little bit deeper than the surface, right? So any of my artsy friends who were like, 
you're a fucking cheerleader. I don't want to talk to you. I was like, you're just as judgmental as the the popular kids who are like, I don't want to talk to you because you're wearing a biker jacket. Um, So I I have always been kind of like curious about people um, and really interested in understanding kind of like the dark side of things and the darkness of things. Um, Like, I mean, I think this is not super unique, but I was really interested in abnormal psych in um, undergrad. And I was I was so curious about like how and why these things happened. Um, So when I thought about it more, like when I was a little kid, I was a huge Nancy Drew fan read all of the Nancy Drews. And so I feel like this, this gave me an opportunity to be like Nancy Drew of the mind, um, (laughs) which is what I initially would have, would have said that I wanted to do is like explore and understand and unlock the mystery. And what I've realized is I can't do that. (laughs) All I can do is help you do that for you. Um, but I still love me a good murder show and a good serial killer. (laughs) Who doesn't? (laughs) So what, what really drew me to this and what, what got me in the field was curiosity, um, curiosity and open-mindedness. Yeah. It sounds like you're both were like great observers that wanted to know more about about what you were observing. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There's definitely sort of that investigative kind of like, let me understand. That was, yeah. Yeah. That was fascinating how things work. I mean, I'm one of those guys like the etiology of phrases. Yeah. I'm all about that. That's so cool. You know? Yeah. I, you know, there, there's so much access to anything you want to know right now, like with TV and Netflix. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're describing stuff and I'm like, Oh, I think they have a show about that. And then you, of course you jump into murder, murder stuff. And like, yeah. Oh my God. They have lots of stuff about that. Um, Yeah. Yeah. I think everybody uh, shares that in a way where they just want to know a little more, but, Mm-hmm. some people don't want to make the effort to uh, get to kind of where you guys are and they'd rather watch a Netflix yeah. show. So thanks for doing what yeah. you did. And getting where you're at. Um, there was no Netflix back oh, in the day when I had to figure out me. what I'm going to do. <laughs> I worked at Blockbuster. I know there was no Netflix. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I think that's all I got. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to talking to you more. Uh, especially about myself, <laughs> my yes, my ego's yes. doing cartwheels, and uh, yeah, that's that's all I got. I appreciate you guys taking some time tonight and and sitting down with me and let me know kind of how you found where you're at. And, yeah, <laughs> this is a lot of fun. Right I was there. I was gonna say yeah, from the very you. beginning, it's it's a different feeling, right? It totally yeah. is. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gives me a sense of kind of what it's like. <laughs> yeah, there you so. go. Well, yeah, being on the other side of the mic. Well, well, thanks for being there, and I look forward awesome. to reversing that situation for another three-way in a couple of weeks. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you, Justin. <laughs> thanks, guys. Thank Enjoy the rest of your night. Good night. All right. You just listened to my interview with Steve and Catherine. You guys, we were laughing so much during this. They're such a wonderful couple of people to have a conversation with, and that's one of the things I love about their podcast is – it's just a great chemistry between them that you get to listen to. You know, they play off each other. And Catherine, that laugh, so infectious. So thank you guys again. And thank you to our Patreon supporters. Patrons like Michelle, Katie, Dustin. Uh, patrons like Erica, Ginny, and Andrew. You guys, the Patreon is up, and it's only $1.09. Support this show any way you can. But I got to say, buck oh nine. I mean, that's l- quite literally... Uh, cheaper than a cup of coffee and it's just bucko nine per month guys and that helps keep friend request uh you know up on the airwaves is that what is that where this is coming from the airwaves the broadbands you don't need to understand technology but you can support it just by going to patreon.com slash friend request and chucking a chucking a dollar there dollar oh nine not not too shabby Thank you guys so much for listening and stay tuned. We got some really great things coming up. Uh, Love it. I love it. I love you. I would not be where I'm at. The show would not be growing the way it is without listeners like you right now. I'm so thankful for you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Let me know what you guys think. Shoot me an email, write a review, whatever you'd like to do. I'm looking forward to talking to you. Thank you so much. I love you. I'll talk to you next week. Um, Bye-bye.